I mean, you can get through these playlists without listening to the well, same song twice. Well, I mean, it's great. Yeah. That's why I like about like, HF and SoundCloud. You just put this mood and it just has a whole bunch of record music. Huh. I don't play around with SoundCloud too much. It seems more like a, uh, I don't know. There's like a segment of folks who listen to SoundCloud and folks who listen to Bandcamp. It's like DIY nerds. You can't radio Bandcamp. Band you can you radio SoundCloud and 8-track is just random people's playlists. Yeah, oh, no, I was going to say, I, mean, oh, I don't even know what that is. What's that? I've only ever shared playlists on that, so... Each track is sweet. Yeah. I'm, I'm a music person, I have no idea what it is. And they, they're, yeah. really, they're really mooted out, so like you can put whatever mood or like feeling, and that's where the music plays. Oh, so I'm going to be like, indifferent about politics. Probably. That was way too loud. Shit, I didn't know you were recording. Oh yeah, that's getting used. <laughs> that was really loud. Don't it's probably gonna that. that's awful. It's gonna hurt everyone's ears, but yeah, we're gonna use no. that. Uh hello and welcome to the EduPunks podcast. This is your host, Craig Bideman. and I'm joined this week with my by my best friend and partner, Katie Ham. Hey. Yep. We're actually, we're actually celebrating our third anniversary today. Three years. Feels like forever. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah? I guess so. You, you guess so? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, the reason I'm joined by Kitty Ham this week, uh, among uh, other than them, you know, living in the same space as me and always having to listen to me record these things, uh, they actually joined me this week. For uh, the interview that we did, we flew down to St. Peter- Petersburg, Florida. Ah, well, we flew to Orlando. We flew to Orlando. We found that St. Petersburg, Florida is actually very, very cool. We enjoyed our time there, mm-hmm. but our our original plan was to go to Orlando. Why were we going to Orlando, Katie? Going to visit Harry Potter World. Because we went to Harry Potter World. Well, and just the rest of Universal Studios. And the rest of Universal Studios. We had our little anniversary vacation. We Mm -hmm. took some time. Had some butterbeer. Katie had some butterbeer. Katie got drunk. I didn't get drunk. Cream soda, which is basically butterbeer. Yeah, it was yummy. I had a sip of it because I felt any more of it would actually probably send me into some sort of sugar high that I would not want. Uh, since I try to stay away from a lot of processed sugar in my diet. Oh, are you into health stuff? <laughs> Only a little bit, Katie. Do uh, you run? Damn it. Uh, but this week we went, we, we, we chatted with folks from the education tech startup Presence, formerly known as Check I'm Here. We went down and spoke with their CEO and a number of their uh, employees as well so that we could get a better idea of what it's like basically running a startup for student affairs people and their their tech their program their everything that they do is incredibly cutting edge you will hear so much more from the people who actually do the work so I'm not going to be very good at selling them but I wanted you all to hear 
what they have to say about the work that they do and even their impact on the field in general. Uh, Katie, what did you enjoy about going down and checking out the presence headquarters? Um, I mean, I've always seen the, the jokes online about startups and how they're just like super chill and fun to work for. When well, we've watched um, Silicon Valley. Too. Yeah, Silicon Valley, exactly. And uh, it was super interesting being in their space. Because <laughs> um, we just like went in and it was like a full open room. And there were people like they all have the standing desks and people were exercising in the middle of the floor. Um, there was a gym in the in the place. Um, and uh, they, they had like, like a, a, a full kitchen, a full bathroom, and they had a laundry or a couple laundry machines, which like we, we don't, don't even have that. Yeah. Come on! <laughs> um, so I was super jealous that they all get to do their laundry for free at work. Yeah, it was also really cool because they have, uh, since they're on a lot of calls all the time, they have these really sweet like phone booths, these sound counseling <laughs> yeah. phone booths is installed in the space, which is just really cool to see, uh, and they really. Like, as much as a startup, quote-unquote startup culture is like this chill, laid-back thing, they were all super dedicated. You're going to hear a lot of that in this conversation. All Um, of their texts had, like, seven computer screens. Each. (laughs) It was nuts. There's just so so many screens everywhere. Um, And then we were just hanging out on the balcony in some hammocks. (laughs) After we got done interviewing them for, like, three hours. But, yeah, so we're going to get to that. Before we get to that... Uh, if you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe, rate, review, send it to your friends. Let them know that I'm talking to a lot of cool people. We're actually going to make some changes probably as the podcast continues to develop. Katie's going to start interviewing. More of me. More of Katie Ham. Katie's going to start interviewing some people. Uh, we're going to do more uh, segments where we just kind of talk to each other about stuff and things. That'll be fun. Won't it? Stuff and things. That's uh, a lot of the fun things that we do. uh, Since we have nothing else to do at home except hang out with our cats. Hey, football. Football. Yeah. Football is currently laying on our coffee table. Football is the name of our cat. It is not. Oh, yeah. I guess that's something that would be essential. (laughs) So, yeah. Okay. Now, we're going to stop wasting your time and get to this conversation. First up, we're chatting with the CEO of Presence, Ruben Pressman. Cool. Well, I'm sitting here with Ruben Pressman. Hey, it's me. Uh, and my best friend, Katie Ham. Hi. That's Katie. We're at uh, Presence Headquarters. Is that what you call this place? HQ. Oh, yeah. HQ? Yeah. Is that the nickname for it? Well, yeah. I okay. mean, it's just Headquarters Short. Head- oh, that's what HQ stands for? Yeah. I wasn't aware. I've never learned that before. <laughs> just fucking with you. Because you can't see Katie's face right now. <laughs> Katie is in complete shock. <laughs> Katie's now on the floor rolling around. That's you all, Katie is freaking out. I don't know how she spoke because she's rolling around. Katie has left the room. <laughs> Oh, this no, is sometimes I just can't tell if you're joking or not. <laughs> this is wonderful. Uh, so, Ruben, you are the CEO of Presence. Oh, yeah. 
correct? Yes. That's the that's the job you have? You um, don't have like some supreme overlord title? No, the only thing they ever put with this founder. Founder? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Well, tell folks, I know a little bit about you. Folks might not know anything about you. Can you tell folks a little bit about who you are, where you come from, why you're here, what you do? Yeah, I mean, these days the only thing that makes me up is this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I do this about 28 hours a day. <laughs> and uh, so, um, no, I mean, I'll get into some of that with the story and stuff, but been programming since I was 10, always been in love with technology and how someone like me or anyone can learn how to build something and simply build a solution to really complicated problems and then let it do its thing. And uh, it's been always really cool for me. So I've always been kind of labeled myself as a compulsive problem solver. Mm -hmm. If something's broken, I must fix it. Um, and that goes really well with technology. So. It sounds like an engineer, engineering background. So yeah, so actually, um, while most like high schools are medical magnets, yeah. um, I went to an engineering magnet in high school, and oh. I was the second cohort to go through that program, and oh. it was like this mini mechanical engineering pre-college thing in high Dang. school. So we were like doing CAD drawings and 3D printing like 15 years ago. Um, yeah. Before like anyone even knew what 3D printing was, we had like this $40,000 CNC machine, which <laughs> we now get for like a thousand bucks, but that's how new it was. And that had been donated to school, and we were like making. I made this this like toy model car in one piece, and it three D printed it, and then dissolved the stuff around it, so it had working wheels and doors that opened, but it was printed in one piece. It's crazy. Um, so yeah, and then I went to school originally for mechanical engineering, got really bored because I exempted out of all of my courses through high school, and switched to. Switched. So there was nothing for you. No, so I like I was taking really hard courses in my freshman year. I was like, yeah. this is horrible. Uh, I was taking engineering calculus, like chem two, like all of these crazy courses that I just did not want to do. And I was more just in the business side, like the innovation side, versus like the hands-on piece of engineering, even though I understood it. So I was always like, well, you know, I'd rather hire someone to be an engineer and like do all the deals and make the business and the ideas. So I switched campuses and was originally looking at graphic design, actually. Mm -hmm. About to ask where that came in because I knew you did all of the design for. Yeah, so when I started programming when I was ten, loved it, and then got into design when I was about fifteen, and then those I mean those went really well together. Mm -hmm. um, highly sought after in the tech field is design experience plus um, software engineering experience. So, um, but yeah, it's been it's been really cool because I can come up with an idea and build the whole thing and make it look good and I'm pretty good at talking with people and selling things. So yeah, I basically yeah, yeah. do everything that's necessary to make anything. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is kind of cool. Um, so, but yeah, I, went to, I was going to switch campus. My best friend from high school was a year younger and was going to USF St. Pete instead. Smaller courses, more beautiful campus, more hands-on. Uh, he was going for graphic design. I spoke with the advisor for 20 minutes and realized I was not going to do that. Because uh, <laughs> the first two years are drawing and painting, which I'm not a fan of doing myself. Um, I was all on digital already, and they make you go through that, and then you have to compete against hundreds of students for 20 spots just to get into the digital program for your junior senior. If you don't make that, you have to start back over because you're like in this cohort pre-design program. So it's like, all right, never mind. I already have like 20 clients I do work for anyway. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm good. So I actually picked a double in finance and economics. Okay. And then I changed Jeez. that. Yeah. I changed that my last semester of my senior year to entrepreneurship. Hmm. Two months before I graduated. <laughs> Oh and I was the only person that graduated the first one because two months before I graduated, the program was accepted by the state, and I was already pre-taking the courses for that program before yeah. I graduated. So. And this was at USF? USF St. Pete. St. Pete? Yeah. Dang. Yeah. 
So I ended up getting a degree in entrepreneurship, um, which is cool because I'd already created a bunch of other companies and stuff, and I never went to class. I, I was always like doing business in my dorm. <laughs> my friend from, from high school and I started, you know, started a clothing line through high school, and we ran that through college. That we had like statewide distribution and surf shops and skate shops and stuff. So Katie had a clothing company. Yeah, for a hot day. It was small though. Yeah. You have some really cool designs and stuff though. We started somewhere. We started out of our trunks in high school. Yeah. So and then we, we started making catalogs and trying to be official and it worked and, uh, and then, then we got bored and moved on. <laughs> moved on to the next thing. <laughs> like ah, fashion. I don't know how that feels. I totally know. <laughs> yeah. Exactly yeah. how that feels. And if we were like way more business time, we probably would have sold it and yeah. made some money if we really knew what we were doing. But we were like, this is boring, who cares? And yeah. like a couple years later someone's like, What happened? I would have bought that. And we were like, Oh well too late. We moved so, on. Yes. So, um, yeah, I, got, I just, I've always been super into people and community building and all of that. So I got really involved in student government in school. When I graduated, I got very involved in the city. I helped economic development relocate companies from around the country here. I, I help with economic development resources. I'm very involved in all the commercial stuff going on. I just, I love the city and, and building community here as well. So that's kind of what I do outside of the company at, yeah. at these times. And it's, yeah. and, and it's funny, I forgot to mention this, you say here, because we're actually in St. Pete. Yeah, you're all visiting. St. Pete, Florida right now, yeah. visiting. So it's it's wonderful. We're on our vacation doing a little bit of side work. It's fun getting to hang out with our friends. Um, now, for folks who don't know what presence is, sure. can you give a little bit of a pitch and a little bit of a story of how this came to be? Because it started with like a very DIY. Yeah. Uh, feel for you, like, because you kind of just made this out of your bedroom, right? Same trunks, just yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, so, but you've been making waves. Can you tell folks a little bit about how the company's evolved since you're... Yeah, for sure. So, so like I said, programming since I was 10, always in the technology background, so um, had always created a whole bunch of stuff. Like, before this, I had an app um, that kind of removes, like, those blue lights on campus, uh, for like the emergency stuff, and it was basically like you could have that on your on your phone. It was before. There's now apps that do that and stuff. Mm-hmm. I had one before this where you could basically say, "Hey, it's going to be two minutes to get to my car um, from 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 class. It's at it's at night, um, and if you don't turn that off, it's going to call the police, text through your friends, and know that you're something's wrong, right?" Um, so like I had that, and it was like slightly educational related with the, with the classroom or the leaving the classroom type of stuff. But um, no, what really quick was my passion that I had in student government, and that kind of connected with um, wanting to get students involved, making sure students didn't miss the experiences that I felt I was gathering and learning from being in student government, and starting a bunch of student organizations, and getting involved in campus boards. And I lobbied in Tallahassee for six months in our in our capital for our thirty million dollar student center that we didn't have. Um, and I uh, just created so many things and learned so much more doing that stuff than I did in the, in the, in the, in the classroom. Yeah. And I guess that was more of my freshman, sophomore, junior year's relation to classroom because I learned a ton in the entrepreneurship stuff. But um, yeah, so it's basically like, hey, I'm in student government, there's a ton of problems. And the biggest one is like, I want to get more students involved. It's one of the hardest things on campus um, for all kinds of reasons. Um, oh, don't we know. Exactly. <laughs> don't we know, Katie? Yeah. Oh, I do. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, getting students involved was a big one from a student perspective, even. Yeah. Uh, especially in Florida, but in a lot of states, student governments have the funding that fund all of the activities and the student affairs departments. So, we were 4,000 students, and we had something like a $2.8 million budget that we authorized yeah. fully autonomously 
and separate from the institution. I mean, there's state laws and state rules around that and school rules, but we basically paid our student life director's salary and all of the staff and our intramurals and our fitness centers and everything. Um, so that kind of part of this other problem is it's like, well, we basically have a bunch of kids that just graduated high school, potentially, especially freshmen, sophomores, that are still learning a lot that are in charge of allocating millions of dollars <laughs> with no experience. And even further, it's just they kind of end up doing it based on how they feel, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, if they didn't have a fun night last night, they're going to be in a worse mood the next day. <laughs> and your club might not get funding because of that. Um, so that was this real thing that we dealt with on the student side, too. Um, and then I also worked in enrollment marketing doing uh, recruitment, assessment, and retention okay. at the institution, so more data-focused, more staff-focused, and started getting introduced to some of the bigger institutional uh, problems and kind of um, mission-critical goals of things like retention. Uh, and, you know, we kind of follow this uh, theory of these four different factors that primarily impact retention. Um, obviously, academics and grades, psychological, um, financial, and then involvement. And for us, we obviously focus on the involvement piece um, and that factor as it relates to retention. Um, but as an example, for those that aren't necessarily in higher ed, um, you know, you could have a student that's straight A's, totally fine psychologically, maybe their parents are paying their way through school, but they're not involved on campus, they're going to class, commute back home, go to class, commute back home, mm -hmm. right? They're not attaching to that. You grew up here, and it's supposed to be the best four years of your life. It's supposed to be this great experience. <laughs> yep, and, yep. you know, for all of us that were super involved, it was. Yeah. Uh, but for them, it's just like this place they have to go, and they sit in class, which we all know is not the best place to learn anyway. They might transfer. They might drop out altogether. And this isn't the, the, the case how it is all the time, but most studies show that these people do not retain as well as others, right? Mm -hmm. Likewise, you might have a student that straight C's. Um, as, as I'm sure you two know, um, mental health is, is one of the biggest issues for the demographic in college. Um, so they might be a little stressed out, and that might be impacting them. They might be on financial aid, and that might be tight for them. Um, but they're involved in student government. They're involved in a bunch of clubs and a bunch of stuff. They're not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. right? So um, likewise, we kind of say it's a big factor, but it could also be a deal maker or a deal breaker mm -hmm. for retention. So when it comes to staff dollars, retention is the ROI an institution has to sustain itself. Yep. Right? If we're, yep. we're, we're paying a lot of money for marketing and recruitment, mm -hmm. and then we're trying to graduate students, the longer a student takes classes, obviously, the more we get paid. Mm -hmm. um, but further, it's also the ROI for a lot of government funding. Um, and specifically, student involvement tends to play a few key metrics on federal and state funding for a lot of a lot of institutions on uh, so now they're getting ROA or ROI money on the student and they're getting state funding based on that retention number, yeah. right? So um, that's what we really focus on, and we build a product and realize that whether it's retention, whether it's assessment, whether it's uh, financial allocation, student government, or decision making in general, or getting students involved, period. All of those are surface level problems. That's what everyone deals with at institutions all day long, and that's what we hear. But we realize those aren't the problems. The problems are underlying. It's data. It's a lack of data and a lack of understanding of it and ability to take action on it. Um, so while a lot of departments might do yearly assessments, it's too late, right? You've got a year of data. You already have brand new students coming in, completely different demographic. Your decision making is, is slow. It's late. It's, it's too deliberate. And you're not able to get that information quick enough. So we said, look, this needs to be something that is fast, real-time if possible, accessible. It needs to be not sample data. It needs to include every student because while there's other stuff out there, there, that data and those products focus on helping you keep students that are engaged engaged, right? So management tools like an org sync or something, um, one of our, our competitors is, is solely focused on um, the, the, the management pieces of, hey, if you're a club leader, we have tools for you. 
But we're focused on 98% of students that aren't involved, and we help you identify who they are and how to attract them and, and run that through data, right? So that's, that sounds so great. <laughs> right? So it's like, you know, all student affairs professionals are used to using tools that keep students engaged. Yeah. What they're not realizing is that they're missing the data and the understanding of how to engage the ones that aren't. Yeah. So um, that's, that's, our, that's our philosophy behind what we built. So we built a way to collect data extremely quickly, easily, and accessibly. So while there's people out there that let you, you know, use a laptop that's annoying, it's expensive, you have to be on Wi-Fi, um, while there's apps that might let you scan um, uh, a QR code and stuff to check in or geofence, stuff's great, it's new technology, but not every student has a smartphone. So you look at, at their, their socioeconomic status and how you're now probably correlating students at a lower socioeconomic status that aren't involved or have the time or resources that might be working other jobs, you're now adding an extra barrier because they have to have an app. They have yeah. to download it. Yeah. They have to have an internet and data connection. So we said, look, we're going to use the same device Square uses to collect credit cards. So we're going to get our own made. We're going to swipe student IDs they already have, that yep. they already get from the institution. Um, and we're only going to require the school to have a smart device to scan those. Um, we said we're going to make it inclusive, we're going to make it easy and accessible and collect that data. And then we're going to wire it up to the student information systems and the data that already exists and make it easy to see that in real time. So you can sit at your computer and watch 10 events happening at the same time on campus and, and see everything see happening the types of students. I could show you College of Business female juniors that attended events last week that had food in seconds. Right? And I can show you the trends and behaviors over 10 years of that and how, that, how that relates and impacts for, uh, retention and financial application and all that. Right. Oh. So we, we so we built that. That was the initial product. We're like, this is what we have to build. This yeah. is what's going to solve yeah. stuff. We yeah. had schools that were like, if you buy this or if you build this, we'll buy it. Yeah. Right. So we took that um, and we uh, sold a couple schools. Well, we built it first of all. Me and a partner um, built it. Got a couple schools to buy it. I connected with some local angel investors that were, you know, believed in us uh, to to build it into something more, and they funded it so where I could quit my job. And Can you explain what angel investors are? Yeah, so I mean, those are there's a few different kind of caliper of, of investors. Yeah. An angel investor is a typical just random person yeah. or high net worth individual. Who just sprinkles money? Yeah. <laughs> like so angel. there's like I guess there's some of the angel investors. There's super angel investors, and there's really VCs and then private yeah. equity. Okay. So like an angel is at the it, you kind of at the very early stage you do what's called a family and friends round or angel and or mixed. Okay. Friends and families like, hey, maybe someone that's rich in a family is willing to give you, you know, fifty or hundred thousand bucks to, okay. to to go after something. An angel is usually between twenty five thousand and a half million. Uh, super angel is usually like a million or more, and then VCs are, are anywhere between. They could be anywhere as low as fifty, depending on their yeah. on their um, stage of company. But I mean, they'll go all the way up to you know a few hundred million yeah. or a million yeah. technically. I've seen um, Silicon Valley. So. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Very real. No. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then there's private equity, which is obviously massive. So, um, yeah, so we had a couple angel investors that gave us, I think it was about 100K is what we raised when we launched. And that put me full-time, and I hired four more people. Um, and uh, previous to that, we were working with a couple schools that were beta testing it and using it, and we learned more. And it basically turned this into this entire product through then and the, and the uh, launch where we have uh, all the management tools that are out there now. Mm -hmm. We said those are easy to build, and we, under, we, we quickly learned that no one was going to buy the data piece unless they had the other pieces. So we're going to build that really quickly and successfully. Um, and that's basically um, things like organization management, officer rosters, documents for all the clubs and orgs and entities on campus, um, full event management, so think Eventbrite but for the school, full approval process workflow, we integrate with room reservation systems for that stuff. 
um, in a full form builder. Um, so drag and drop, build forms, add conditional logic, custom approval workflows, or replace the how many forms you have in your student affairs office. Oh my 50 God, plus, right? No. Yeah. So you know you have 50 plus forms that most institutions have. Some more. You build them all once. They work automatically. You assign who gets notifications about what when it's their turn. Um, and then, uh, then then there's the tracking piece, the assessment piece. And the assessment comes out in like a form of, if you're familiar with like Google Analytics or just graphs and really cool charts that show you all these trends and behaviors. And then we top it all off with the engage piece and that's really uh, white label, which is custom branded mobile app and a website that gives students one central spot to now be proactive and go to to find out what's going on. And you don't have to enter anything into that. It's automatically populated by the stuff you already approve in the management piece up front. So it's this kind of full platform um, that works together and solves all of the range of issues from data to process automation. And we like to say, um, you know, we're going to focus, we're going to let you focus on the experience and we'll take care of everything else, mm -hmm. right? Um, so yeah, I launched that in May of 2014 um, and we're now at 21 full-time employees. We'll be closer to 30 by the end of the year. We just hit 100 institutions yeah. uh, a week and a half ago. Um, we're well had around like 103 already. Yeah. Um, so growing faster than ever. Um, we basically double everything, whether it's revenue or team size or schools each year so far. And yeah. we're still on track to keep doing that. When did you start? Uh, May of 14. So our third year okay. was just this last May. <laughs> yeah, so 100, 100, basically 100 schools in three years. Yeah. Um, and that's in 35 different states and three different countries. So everything from a few thousand students to 50, 60,000. God dang. It's been a fun ride so far. Oh, I bet. I bet. All right, so we're going to take a quick break from that conversation with Ruben to give you our first little ad break of the episode. This ad break is for Katie Weaver Photography. Visit katieweaver.com and check out some of the amazing photography that my friend Katie has created over the years. Uh, fun backstory, we started the same first day at Oregon State University working for our college newspaper and ever since have been friends and it's been wonderful and she's taken my picture many times. She actually did the artwork for the album cover that uh, uh, for the album that I just put out. The music you're hearing right now and throughout this entire episode she took the picture that's on the artwork. It's amazing. Katie, what do you like about Katie Weaver's photography? I like I like a lot. She's incredible. Um, she does weddings, portraits, uh, like couples, and everything that she does is beautiful. She only uses natural light, yeah. which well, is ridiculous. That's the right way to do it. Yes. It's the right way. It's to the do right it. way to do it. <laughs> um, Brilliant. But yeah, I mean that I I don't even want to speak for her work because you should just go look at it. Um, right. So. Just to make sure uh, you have got it right, it's Katie, K-A-T-Y, and Weaver, W-E-A-V-E-R. So katieweaver.com, check out her pictures, they're incredible. And she knows a whole lot about wedding photography, and I'm probably going to have her on the podcast just to spread that education with you all, probably in a few weeks when she gets back from the UK, where I think she is right now, probably taking pictures of someone else's wedding. Uh, she tends to book up, so if your wedding's in a year or two, you think, get get a hold of her now. Uh, but yeah, that's katieweaver.com, and we're going to get back to the conversation. So, uh, so you've been doing this for three years now. Uh, what are some of the big things you've learned being in the education tech realm? 
uh, some of the challenges, maybe even the business side of this, like maybe some things you didn't expect, any politics? We know there's <laughs> politics. <laughs> yeah, so I think one of the bigger things and benefits I had and why, so I work with a lot of different companies and startups, especially locally, and the biggest thing, especially going after investors and that kind of top question is, um, when you're in early stage, it's less about the idea and the product and what's what it is, and more about who you are and whether you can make it successful. And investors at an early stage back people, not companies and ideas. So, um, you know, the benefit I had, and what I always ask people that are coming to me is like, hey, I'm looking at raising money, or I'm looking at, um, you know, building this company. I'm like, why are you the person to do this over anybody else, right? What's stopping somebody else from being successful with this that um, you have that they don't, right? And for me, it was. I think I had a very unique and rare perspective and experience through my undergrad um, with a technology like background and perspective going into it. And um, nobody else was thinking this way when I got started and still really doesn't. Everyone has their own philosophies, but um, you know, so I think I was unique going into where I already experienced a lot of the politics. I was I was in a unique student situation where I had a lot of trust from a lot of the um, faculty and staff in the institution, I had all the background of politics, knew what was happening, I helped them because I was kind of, you know, as a student, you're a little, you have the immunity, almost like you're traveling yeah. as an ambassador in oh. another country, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. So, you know, one, one staff member would come to me and be like, hey, this is an issue, so I'll take care of that. Yeah. And I'll go to another staff office and be like, hey, this is a real issue, we need to fix it now. And they would, you know, and like... I've played those I've games. Been, that sounds like Craig. I yeah, so, played those games. So it's really cool because it's like, well, you're a student, but you're also on staff salary as a student government leader. Yep. Um, but then the staff can't really do anything. So it's a really unique thing because I have a lot of the back end politics and played a role in that and learned a ton from it, which I think helped a ton going into the industry. So, uh, but no, I'm, I'm constantly daily surprised by the level of bureaucracy and politics. And everyone's like, our campus is the worst. And it's like, no, everyone's like, oh, no, we've dealt with much worse every time. So we move really slow. I was like, mm, no, you don't, but we'll let you take that. That's fine because everybody. Like, my grad institution. See, this is, has I mean, this been, is literally what we no, did no, for everybody. No, but I mean, like, compared to the other like, places <laughs> that I've been at. Yeah. Horrible. So, I mean, we, we've talked to over a thousand institutions. Like, we've talked to, yeah. to every single person everywhere um, and just heard of all of it. And that's the exact same response we get from everybody. Like, no, 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 no. You know, this is a little controversial, but I think important for me, I see a lot of student affairs professionals follow this, this stereotypical or typical path where they have zero real-world experience, hmm. right? They've literally mm -hmm. never left an educational institution, yep. but at the same time, they're the ones responsible for preparing students to go into what everyone calls the real world, yep. which makes zero sense to me, right? Yep. If you want to go learn something, you go learn from someone that's done it, right? And if you're learning to participate in something, you go learn from someone that's participated in it. So um, I think we have a hard time coming from, and again, I'd say 90% of our company are those people, but obviously we're in the technically real world, I guess. Um, <laughs> it's very paradoxical in my mind. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm constantly surprised, although at the same time totally understanding because I was in it, um, the amount of bureaucracy and politics and and even like technology competency and common business practice competency and just some of the stuff that we just are trying to communicate with, right? And I think some of that comes from just perception and resource allocation and time management, just skills that you just aren't taught in school that you learn by working in a corp or a business or the real world. And uh, it's just very different. So that culture is kind of 
breeding at all these institutions because mm-hmm. they all everyone comes from the same uh-huh. place, right? Yep. So you know, it's it's interesting because we have the other rest of the world has a very slightly different way of doing things, and then we're working with government agencies, and it's not just schools; it's government agencies, period, that that work this way. So that's something we're constantly learning and iterating and <laughs> working with. Um, what else? What else have we learned? Um, Oh, no, we'll come back to that. Yeah. Well, and I mean, while, perhaps while you're thinking, um, well, you're you're hitting on is something that I think frustrates, like, especially Katie and I, being in the field. Well, it's and generation. It is. A lot of these things are very inherent mm-hmm. in the way we work and process. And I think it's the difference in the internet. Yeah. In that growing up with the internet, we've been exposed outside of school and a typical education mm-hmm. experience since day one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. the generations really before us. Their only experience was things they could really see or read about, which mm-hmm. is education or things that are popular enough to get published. But we've grown up like, well, this is the way you do this, and yeah. and I can look at the button. That's super interesting because when you were talking, I was like, well, I mean, like I came into the field straight out of college, like mm-hmm. I went mm-hmm. straight into grad school and then straight into my first job, and I was like. I mean, I get it, but that, yeah. like you saying that, like I growing up with the internet, yeah, like, I had exposure to a lot, a lot more than. Mm-hmm. And then I took a I took time off before going to grad school and worked a bunch of crappy jobs, and it motivated me Very more, different. V- way different, and it motivated me even more to get yeah. back into what I really yeah. wanted to be doing. But it also, I think, taught me a lot of perspective of what I could bring to students. And like I was a high school teacher before I went into student affairs. And so I was learning to work with students, but I needed kind of a kick in the ass to be like, all right, now I'm going to go work with college students. It's completely different, but like that real life, Mm -hmm. just like kind of teaching like a little bit of hard knocks. I don't know. Uh, like, like brought, brought it out of me to get back into the field and do this work. Like, mobility of people is different now too because like I went to school in Wisconsin I went to grad school in Minnesota and then I moved out to Boston yeah and the difference between like state schools and private schools like oh all yeah that, having a different experience for like when I was in grad school a lot of the people that worked there had gone to school there gotten their master's degree there and then worked there and never left we're like that's kind of yeah kind of similar to what you're talking about just like the one experience and, and it's interesting I think the higher ups in the schools are starting to see that and learn a little bit because like we we always and myself attend a lot of the VPA the vice president of student affairs like the higher up level um like uh conferences wine dine, oh private yeah yeah, at the yeah. Conferences. so like we get to talk to all those people and I'm seeing a huge trend of non-student affairs experience getting VP jobs yeah um they're coming from MBAs they're coming from from high level exec and I think it's going to help shape and change a little bit or even law. Yeah. Like he, some he just hired a new president, Leslie, who has got a business and... And, um, and I promise the entire culture will yeah, shift and change, that. probably for the better. Yeah, oh, um, it's already been... Yeah, so it's change. like, you know, we get, we get fresh student affairs pros to come jobs here, and I'm like, okay, who's like, how do you say organized? So like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, like, what's your, like, what tools do you use to say organized? So like, there's tools for that. Oh, like, good. I'm like, sweet. All right, well, here's all the tools you need to use. We pay for all these, use these. And they're like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Yeah. Like, I'm like, take one. Ah. Oh, like, you know, goodness. Like, even basics like that, where there's just this disconnect on processes and productivity and, and speed and business knowledge. And everyone hears it all the time. 
student affairs person like, oh, I got so much on my plate, and I'm so busy, and I'm working extra hours. Like, that's, that's everywhere. That's how this works. That's world. how working right? a job exactly. works. Exactly. <laughs> and yeah, and at the same time, it's like in the, in the level of, and I'm not trying to undermine or say any of this stuff. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. No. But it's like some of the people I know that work in like corporate and like actual businesses and companies, that the stuff that you, the student affairs person are dealing with, they're nothing compared to this. So it's yeah. like, you know, but at the same time, it's like, that's their world, that's their perception, that's yeah. what we're helping, and that's the type of tools that we're building for them. So yeah. um, we're hoping to ask to, you know, um, you know, push an evolution through that and get them kind of upgraded. And it's the same reason that you see institutions running 10, 15 years behind, everybody says that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so. and, and you, you talked a little bit about this, but you've been getting more investors as you guys have been growing. Yeah. 100 schools, it's amazing, 100 oh, yeah. campuses. What um, what on the business side has been like mm. dealing with money, hiring more people? Yeah. Is that something you were prepared for? Um, is that something yeah. that's like because that's a whole side of yeah. I guess so, yeah, owning so I a business? Yeah, I would never lot, know. A lot more learning I've done on that end. Yeah. Because of, I had so much experience on the staff and the student side and the technology side with that. The business side. I mean, I've created tons of companies, but nothing even close to this scale. Literal um, tons. Tons. Like, yeah, you know, <laughs> worth. Uh, trunks worth, at least. <laughs> um, so, and frunks. Um, so, yeah, I mean, business-wise, I guess, let's see. So, my first round of employees I hired were all people I already knew. They were either very good friends, either in student government or staff positions with me, and I'm like, yo, I'm going on doing this, you're coming with me. And um, I think it made it really easy to get started. And after that, when we started having to go outside of that initial network, which was just like three or four, um, that was a huge learning curve. And I'd say like each week there's something I have no clue that I'm doing and I'm learning and I'm going every week for the last three years. If not one, it's 20. Um, but I think the biggest thing is around people and hiring and those processes and overall culture. And you know, five employees is one thing, 10's a whole other deal, 20 is insane. Mm-hmm. But just the things that come up and need attention and change of process and focus is just completely different. And the type of employee we're bringing in from a friend of mine that was like super passionate about what I was doing from day one to someone that just found us on Inside Higher Ed or has heard of us in the market um, and says, this sounds like a cool job. Those are two completely different people. You have people that are like, this is cool. I definitely want to work here. And then you have people like that's like right now. And then you have people way back then, they're like, I just want to work with Ruben and build a super cool company. And yeah. it sounds really sweet. I'm going to take a big pay cut. And I hope this works out in the long run. And it has, but. That was that was know. what my mind was when we were. Couple, <laughs> yeah, just a couple years ago. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like the incredible learning curve I've had when it comes to that shift. Um, you know, we're in our third office, so I've learned a lot about commercial real estate. Oh, I bet. Um, you know, yeah, I've raised um, just short of $2 billion in investment now. We ended up raising a much larger round at the end of last year. Um, and we're just continuing to grow and it's, you know, um, what else? Uh, yeah. What about schmoozing? Nonstop. What about schmoozing? I've always been such a schmoozer. That's what my dad <laughs> always called me. It's like, I just grew up that way. Both my parents are independent business owners. So, oh, so, so this is in your blood. It is. I've grown up, like, when I was in school, my parents were like, you should be major in entrepreneurship. What do you yeah. Think? Yeah, what were you doing? (laughs) You're just fucking around for all this. Before graduation, you were like, "Yeah, you're right." (laughs) (laughs) Always listen to mom. They were trying to get me like transferred to a different school that had entrepreneurship and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like two years, like I don't, I don't care about that. Then you alone, like, and uh, you were just rebelling. Yeah, little, you little punk. (laughs) And uh, um, yeah, like my dad's been. My dad's a lobbyist, not the bad kind. 
Um, he's uh, local land use, so like 90% of what he does is like rezoning and city and county stuff. He does it for every Fortune 500 company that comes into town mm. in like the probably 100, 150 mile radius around here. Um, he solo does that excellently. And my mom did Pepper Chef. I don't know if anyone's heard of that. Oh, yeah. She was the top like eight out of the 200,000 people that work for that company. And she started like almost when they started and helped them build the whole thing. So I'm like, she worked on the house. I was like, don't bother me unless you're bleeding or you're throwing up. And, um, you know, dad dad had his own office and worked out of the office all day. So Jeez. I grew up with like, all right, yeah, this is what we do. Yeah. So, That's yeah. so fascinating. Right, but I was always like, you can't teach this. And I got this school for it and I'm like, oh man, you can teach this. And I actually ended up teaching two semesters at USF Tampa. Um, I taught creativity and business in their entrepreneurship minor. Oh. So now I so completely flipped and I've taught that and I've helped teach creative problem solving and change leadership stuff to our team as we hire people on and do all that. So, um, yeah, I don't know how we got here, but... Uh... <laughs> I think that's a good tangent to uh, <laughs> what, what I was thinking. So, as you know, like I work in student activities and I you basically solved a, a many, many of the problems I could think of in all of our processes. Um, Even though I, you don't use this yet. I have been trying. I'm trying. Uh, I can show this to my new boss. Yeah, then, listen to this. So. Yeah, listen. If you're listening right now. <laughs> bring, bring them on. And you haven't board. signed on. Uh, just, just stop thinking about it and do it. Uh, yeah, I, I've been trying. It's, it's hard when you got a contract. Um, so whenever that's up. But uh, so one of the reasons I was hired was to do more assessment through the office. And I am, I mean, I've, I've been doing it for the past three years. And one of the things that I have been encountering is what you were talking about, like doing it, you know, once a year or every other year, or even like- Yeah, it's like, cool, we have numbers, but you know, we, we, Yeah, we exactly, like we can't yep. do much with it in the moment. Um, and even like, uh, like you said, like every student affairs job is super busy. Yeah, um, one of my favorite blog want... posts that we put out was, um, Things like a hundred things you can do in the first five minutes of your event for more analytics. Because <laughs> it's like you got this real time data, and it's like, hey, if you're missing computer students, you can see that immediately and call up RAs and have them oh knock on doors. Yeah, right? so it's like, yeah. Our, literally, right now, we just started um, our university tossed some money at a commuter focused position. Yeah. So maybe this is also a good yeah, There you go. Because <laughs> um, they're, they're wanting to focus more on our commuter students. Yeah. But, uh, so, like I said, you kind of solved a lot of the problems that I've seen. Yeah. What What are the trends that you think, since you are like a five, ten years ahead guy, um, what are the trends of problems that you're seeing and where are you kind of going with the software for the future? Yeah, so I think focusing on retention in general is the issue. Hmm. But there's no better metric to, to use yet. Florida's actually already switched. So Florida funds based on the job students get and the money they make salary-wise in their first five years. Mm. Mm -hmm. hmm. And they get that data through financial aid correlated with like eight other factors and census data and different stuff and social security numbers and different things that they have through multiple government agencies yeah. um, to dictate that. So. Uh, you can actually go look up Florida schools now and decide which school you want to go to based on the jobs that the students are getting, the salaries they're making, and that's what a lot of the funding is based on. So I think you start seeing a lot more workforce-related goals that will start happening. Um, 
And with that comes the whole talk about core competency learning and competency-based learning and um, like co-curricular transcripts and all that type of stuff. So that's our big focus right now, um, is building out um, tools that help quantify and qualify the skills students are learning, essential skills, I like to call them, instead of soft skills. <laughs> they're not, they're harder yeah. than the other ones. Um, so hard. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'm a sex educator. Right. Uh, so, um, uh, yeah, I mean, we're basically working to figure out how to help institutions automate this core competency essential skill learning by all the data we already have. Hmm. Um, so we should be, by, by fall, you'll see our platform roll out that'll actually let institutions take their CAS standards or whatever they're their competency learning is, plug them into our system, or if it's CAS, they can load it in mm -hmm. one, one button, Jeez. and then develop their own rules of how um, the students can learn and earn the skills to certain levels. Uh, huh. And then the students can go in and see, it's like, I want to learn leadership, and it's like, cool, we have five levels of leadership, and if you want to get the understand level, you need to do these three events, submit this reflection form, and you know, do and, and hold six months of club leadership. And you, you put those rules together, and then students just have to do them. And students can go in and be like, I want to learn this. And they go, so here's what you got to do. Uh -huh. And you got to go to three events that are tagged with leadership. And you can see, here's the next 10 events that are coming with leadership. And you just swipe it and check, and you get that. So that's super interesting. <laughs> when you were talking about the funding thing, I was thinking, like, Leslie, the institution I work at, is mainly arts education and, like, human services, which are not necessarily high-paying jobs. No. So, like... People looking at the school wouldn't necessarily be look or like for funding. I mean, it's not it's a private school, so that's a little different. But like looking into it, there wouldn't necessarily be that like funding appeal of like ah, oh, it's a high paying job. It's more like oh, I like helping people or I really like art. Yeah, but likewise, there's how many institutions are like that, right? Say there's, yeah. say just arbitrarily there's 20% of the schools out there. Well, yeah. if the students know they want to do that stuff, they're going to go to the school that you get the highest paying job in that stuff. Exactly. Even more, <laughs> even more because they're not high paying jobs. Yeah. Right? So it's even well, more important in my I opinion. think it, well, and where I was kind of connecting it is that like a, a lot of people don't think that for those jobs, that art school or like education is going to get them those like hard skills that will help them in any job. Yeah. Um, so like that's a, a neat way to think that like it. I for me that gives like more value to the student affairs side of things rather than like the academic. Exactly. Side. Obviously, there's value exactly. to that, but like yeah, showing proof of. <laughs> um, well, the reality is employers rather hire based on essential skills. Yeah. Exactly. IBM did a survey back in 2012, 1,600 CEOs in 80 different countries. Top five skills they want, nothing STEM related, nothing hard school, are hard school related. Huh. Creativity, flexibility, yeah. communication, collaboration, and I think it's problem solving. Hmm. You don't learn those in a classroom. No. Oh, learn those experientially. Not. Yeah. Right? So yep. why are schools constantly preparing students for things like math and science? I think those are important, obviously. But are when, they? When, when, you know, <laughs> but, but in the reality is you're going to get trained in the first six months of whatever your job you're going into yeah. anyway. Right? So you might as well have skills that help you learn quickly and, yeah. and, and adapt and challenge and create opportunities. Yeah. Right? So I mean, when we're hiring, we look. I mean, we might look at a resume and extend it to it, but we're not looking at your degree. We don't, we don't even care if you have a degree. Yeah. Right? We just want to know if you can pick things up quickly and if you're 
really cool and yeah. productive and, yeah. and care, right? We care about passion more than we do anything else when we, yeah. when we do that. So it relates, right? So CCT stuff, financially related, we're actually about to roll out a finance platform, so you're going to do your entire student affairs budget. Um, in our entire system, you will manage allocations, expenditures, and reconciliations in our, in our entire system. Oh, that would be so helpful. But the cool thing is because we're data focused, right? All of yeah. that money will be correlated with your with your attendance analytics, so you can just see the cost no. per head analysis. No, that'll sell it to my dean. I'm so excited. You'll be able to have reports that cross over, and we want to be able to put like scales. It's like, look, we have a million dollars to go to, to go to clubs. And it's like, show me um, the success of uh, hard to retain students and which organizations are retaining the best, and map a budget to that based on these rules. Boom. Right, like that's what we're going to get to. It's going to be really cool. Damn. Um, so that's some of the stuff we're thinking about and working on. There's some bigger plans that are super confidential, and I'll I'll share yeah. with you two after the podcast. <laughs> um, yeah. That are, that are exactly. really cool. Um, but yeah, I mean that's that's kind of that's the the direction I'd say is is essential <clears throat> core competency focused learning and how that impacts the student affairs world. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for spending some time with us. I'm going to go talk to some other folks or bring yeah, other sure. folks we'll in here. Bring some of the rest of the team. Yeah, and we'll hear from them too. See what they say about you as a boss. <laughs> okay, we're going to take one more break right before we get into talking with all the other uh, members of Presence. Uh, this is a little bit of a longer episode, but we are going to take a quick music break and share with you a song from my new EP. Yeah, this is a little self-aggrandizing, but hey, I just put out this album and I'm really proud of it. This song is called Bastard Son. Uh, it is from my new EP, Farewell, which is about the loss of my father who died in October of 2015. Um, it's a pretty personal album. It's really sad, um, but this song is probably the one I'm most proud of on the EP. You're hearing a lot of different sounds from it throughout this entire uh, episode, and this song definitely stands out the most on the EP. It has a lot of, um, it is purely beat driven uh, with spoken word, uh, and I, I'm just so proud of this song, and I hope you all enjoy it. And if you want to hear more, if you want to hear more of the EP, Go to anotherpoormusician.bandcamp.com or if you're on my website right now, just click on the link about another musician. Um, you can buy physical copies or stream it really anywhere by looking up another musician. So here we go. This song is called Bastard Son. I am fatherless! Adopted, abandoned, alone. Your absence is an invisibility cloak of forever, and I don't feel any closer to you here. I replayed that last week with you over and over in my head. I flew back to Oregon just to watch you slowly deteriorate before my eyes. But there was nothing we could do except make you feel comfortable. And I tried to glean as much as I could from you during that last week. You taught me not to fear death. You taught me that life is temporary. You taught me about your favorite Marty Robbins song. And when I got home, I gave Big Iron a spin and I wept because I would never get to listen to it with you again. You taught me the stories behind all of his songs and I would listen as your face beamed with joy, reliving the days when you weren't in pain and you could just listen to music. 
I feel that pain today because there's not enough of me to go around these days. I'm sleeping less and I'm crying more than I'd like to admit. And I miss the days when everything was vibrant because when you died, my depression and anxiety amplified and the thoughts of killing myself worsened as I struggled to find work. But you always told me that anyone would be happy to have me, yet I felt like I had nothing without you. And luckily, luckily I gave up drinking a few years ago in hopes that I could feel anything again. Now I wear these X's like badges of honor from an invisible war that may never end. Now, being sober means I think much clearer, and I think of the times you told me I was too stubborn to quit, but I'm so glad I did. Quitting saved my life. You always told me you would wish you'd quit smoking before you even began, and it made me think of how much I stood to gain by giving up alcohol. Hell, I was able to reconnect with you the last few years of your life. No more shame of my double life, no more keeping track of the lies. But it wasn't enough to keep me honest. So I moved to Massachusetts to get a fresh start, cause I saw none of my friends doing the same. And I figured if I could make it here, I could do anything. Then you died, and your lungs finally quit. And I struggled to forgive myself for how selfish I had been all those years. Selfish for leaving home when you and mom needed me most. Selfish for those times I attempted to take my own life while you were fighting for yours. And I still feel you inside of our god-awful house. But that doesn't mean I feel any closer to you. And I can still feel you everywhere. But that doesn't mean I feel any closer to you here. And while I may not be your blood, I will always be your son, your bastard son. And with love and farewell in my lungs, I say goodnight. And now let's get into the next segment of the podcast, chatting with a couple folks from Presence. Okay, so now we're sitting with some employees of Presence. We have Andy Gould. Gould? Is that how it's pronounced? Gould, that's right. Gould, nailed it. And Michael Janowski. Yes. Michael Janowski. Yes. Nailed it. Would you both like to tell us a little bit about what you do and here for for the company and your your titles of what you do? Sure. Sure. Yeah. I um. So I head up all of our our outreach and communication with prospective clients, basically. So sales. Nice. Um, and you've been around with Ruben since yeah. kind of the beginning, right? Yeah. It's a. It's my favorite story. I tell it in almost every demo that we do with folks, but um, I was graduating. I was in student government as a, as a president and was leaving, and Ruben was pestering me um, about this product that he built, and when I actually finally took a look at it, it blew my mind. It yeah. was everything that I ever wanted, and then you know, I was looking at pursuing some typical paths, and I don't know, this seemed risky, and there was just something, was just something about it. That was you decided paths. to take the risk? Yeah, you know when something's going to go somewhere. 
when the right idea is there and the right people are behind it, that's the combo. It's what investors look for. And so when I found it, I was like, I should do this. Yeah. What if it doesn't work out fine? But at least I did it for a year or something yeah. like that. And we door to doored it and drove around. <laughs> like literally? Yeah, there's poor people. Um, we would just, I would just go into a student life director's office with a laptop and be like, hello, I have a thing. Can you please see it? And they're, of course, they weren't going to kick me out. They were very nice. <laughs> Saturday demos. And um, it somehow, after almost a year of that, we finally got our first closings. First people signed up. And, uh, and it worked. And then eventually we went full digital because we were at a, you, know, you can't, can't drive everywhere that doesn't work. So No. Um, no. The rest is history. Dang. What about you, Michael? Uh, so I ended up here on a little bit of a different path. I'm the director of happiness, so I'm responsible for making... I love that title! <laughs> director of happiness! I'm responsible for making sure that all of our clients stay happy and enjoy using the platform and get the most out of it. But um, actually here, a little bit in part due to Andy, um, he <laughs> relentlessly tried to get a campus that I worked at to buy the software back in its early days, about two and a half, maybe three years ago now. Um, and I just was super interested in what they were doing, thought that it would have been awesome if we could have gotten it, but didn't really have any influence on that. So fast forward a year later, I see the happiness expert job posted. I'm like, holy crap, this is perfect. Like, this sounds exactly like me, like technology, student affairs, a little bit of everything. Um, being happy, I guess, is yeah. uh, a fun part of it. And sight unseen three weeks later and moving to Florida so <laughs> we without about, ever having been here before. Yeah, yeah we were talking about at lunch today how now that people know me they think that I would never ever ever do something like that so like take a big risk like yeah. that both of you came in taking risks yeah. you air, Airbnb it too yeah you came yeah. there without even a place Mm -hmm. I remember that. That's... Nowhere to live, nowhere to like anything. It was great. That's ballsy. Yeah. So respect. Two years later, now I'm still here and still pushing forward and making people happier than ever. And have a place to live. Yes. Nice. Nice. I'm in my third place to live now that I've been here. Oh. For positive reasons. Oh. Okay. All right. Good. So this place is pretty chill. It's a pretty laid back setup, uh, startup feel to it. What does a typical day look like for, for both of you? Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. Like, the environment is chill, and that's definitely what attracts a lot of people to startups. You know, there's yeah. beanbag chairs, and there's dogs, and you wear pajamas, which I almost always, I'm dressed up today. Yeah. I'm always in pajamas. I was wondering, what are you all dressed up for? Right. In those short shorts. <laughs> you look like me at work. Right. <laughs> that's accurate. Every once in a while, I just want to feel like an adult. Yeah. So I put on clothes. It's but, weird. Um, <laughs> we need to go back to having fancy Friday. We do. That'd be fun. It, it's, I, I that was it's a thing? Like, uh, mm -hmm. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. Did that when I worked at Journeys. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it's a little bit of a misnomer, it being relaxed, because while like the environment is relaxed, everybody is super intense. Oh, everybody yeah. hyper-focused on what they're doing. Oh, I see it out here. Everyone, like, the programmers are, like, I can't get them away from their computers, and everyone else, like, in the sales, they're, like, focused on, you were doing demos all morning. Right. And yeah. that's, that's what it is. It's, it's interesting, because when, so when you put, like, structures into place where here's your, here's your schedule, get in at 8, or else you get written up, and your lunch break is only 12 to 1, then people fit themselves into that structure. Yeah. But if you let it be open and free, and the job is to perform, then you'll see people that are here for 10 or 12 hours a day just kicking ass all mm -hmm. the time. And that, um, 
makes them responsible for their own production. And so none of their concerns are their environment or, you know, did I label my lunch in the fridge or like any of this junk that just yeah. isn't productive at all. So it's a cool, it's a cool mix. Like the, the casualness is needed because everybody is super dedicated. Okay. And they're like a, they kind of coexist, I think. Yeah. Is that somewhat, some, uh, somewhat of a treat you all look for when you bring new people in? Yeah. Yeah. Um, my new favorite interview question to ask is, what did you get in trouble for the most as a kid? Right? <laughs> oh, crap! Yeah, so good. That's want, so good! We want people that break rules, that go into systems and immediately change things, that just can't help themselves. That's what's up! All of that. <laughs> that's what we're doing, and if each person takes ownership and does that, then you've got a team of like-minded people. Mm-hmm. I've got someone on my team now who, during our interview, asked why we weren't doing something in particular training our customers and I was like whoa I hadn't even looked at it that way hmm. she works here so I thought that was a, a really positive outcome from like someone who's always willing to challenge what they're doing and make changes and not even interviewing for the job you know question your process yeah like challenge the company that they're looking to get hired by that's yeah. that's a great trait yeah some people in the field might not look at the same way. <laughs> I was going to say, I definitely did something similar in one of my on-campus interviews, and they did not respond positively. <laughs> uh, no, it did not. And how sad, though. How sad that, it, yeah. that just challenging the status quo is something that's, that's, that inspires defense, right? Yeah. It should be what we're... I mean, that's what we try to teach students, right? Is, yeah. Is think, mm-hmm. think for yourself, be innovative, but how can you be innovative structure yeah. that keeps you down it doesn't work oh that's so real now what's it like being a happiness expert director of happiness it is a little bit of everything every day i think um you know andy might challenge me on this but my role i, I interact with the most different parts of the company so i spend a lot of time with our development team a lot of time with andy and the sales team a lot of time with my own team i was sitting down with our social media and marketing person today um to give customer feedback for a blog post. So I feel like I get pulled in a million different directions. So I have a hard time focusing on a task at hand. So getting things done can be a little bit of a challenge at times, but we uh, do what we can every day to just work with what we've got, make sure our customers are having a good experience. And um, anytime something isn't going well, it's just another challenge and another reason to be successful and to continue on and push forward and make sure that we're doing the best that we can. And it's, we're at a stage right now where we have so many ideas and not enough time to do all that, which is always <laughs> such a struggle. I know that I'm feeling. Like, <laughs> I want to do this thing and I want to have the time to do this, but there's like this boring little broken thing over here we have to fix first. Oh, goodness. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, and when it comes to uh, the work you do with like other campuses, what are some of the things that you have been like learning uh, through through your roles, like your specific roles that have like been helping you get better? Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm in the middle of, of, of training right now, which is like kind of constant. We're always okay. hiring. Training uh, campuses. Training people. Okay. Training new salespeople. Okay, new salespeople. Um, okay. Yeah, I have two right now that are going through kind of like entry sales training. So. They're student affairs pros. They came from the industry. They didn't like it. They wanted to make a change the whole industry, and so they're here. And I was reminded just recently teaching them that I never expected to be educating institutions at all. I really didn't, especially with the way this started. I was just a student government kid. Mm-hmm. I was kind of, you know, I was just making it up. Uh, but now that's that's not the case anymore. And now 
um, a lot of our sales training is around consulting with and guiding both student affairs pros, I mean VPs and institutions toward the technological future with keeping in mind what they really need to maintain accreditation, to retain students, but just haven't, they just don't have the expertise and thought about it. it's not their area. Yeah. Um, teaching them about the culture of data, teaching them about not being afraid of measuring and assessing things and doing something with that information quickly. I think that that's one of the more interesting things that I didn't expect mm -hmm. to have happen. Is, you know, it's not just, hey, call you, like I was, or like I was badgering, <laughs> hey, buy this, please buy it. I need some money, please buy this. Please, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we need clients. Um, now it's like, we don't, we don't rush to sell people. We guide them along and prep them, yeah. and get them culturally ready mm -hmm. to do what we're doing. And so it's not like a hard ask immediately. It's like a, like a relationship building almost, it sounds like, oh, yeah. I mean, which I'll, is a student affairs skill. It, it, Weird. It is. It is. Weird how that works. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's ultimately led to some really notable, I think, success with using the product too. So Andy's team and their, the way they've adjusted their processes has made it a lot easier for us to make people happy and to make sure that they're getting what they need and what they want out of the software and out of the experience in general. Because um, software is software, but I think we, try to sell a full experience and try to give them more than just what they click on and what they do on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. Um, do you, have you come across, this is just something that I was thinking about while you were talking, do you feel like there are some schools that are hesitant with like data because it might grossly underline something that they're like ashamed of? Yeah, uh, maybe schools, um, but most certainly people. People? For sure. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if you have a budget and you have and you're not really justifying what you're doing in any way whatsoever, and you know that it's kind of average, mm -hmm. right? Or I mean, it could be improved, but there's nothing about you that mm -hmm. really opens and welcomes feedback and criticism and growth. Then you're gonna step in the way of a tool that starts measuring and assessing yeah. what you and everybody else is doing. That's one of the things I definitely never expected to run into was people who are like, I don't want this. This is gonna make me look bad. <laughs> I was like, wait, wow. no, this is, this, is, this is good. This is going to make the To make you better. better. But, I mean, it's like anything. That's not student affairs. I mean, it's just efficiency and effectiveness. There, there, there are plenty of people out there in every industry and every walk of life that are really interested in that. Hmm. Interesting. There's no different. Goodness. 5,000 schools in the U.S., something, something like that. Yeah. yeah. We, got, pros. we got a crap ton of them up in Boston, mm -hmm. so... You can't walk downtown without bumping into someone who works at a college. Right. And just randomly, like, we'll just yeah. be at, like, concerts or something. And like, yeah. oh, you work at a college? Yeah, me too. <laughs> That's, That's thing. accurate. That's very accurate. Yeah. We had somebody stop us because they liked our bumper stickers. Really? And then we hung out with them, and they were like, oh, yeah, we work at colleges too. <laughs> what? How, how? How do we all work at colleges? What yeah. the heck is this? Um, so that's been one barrier to... Uh, what you've been doing, what, what have you found is like some of the other barriers that have kept schools, because I know I have been trying to get it, <laughs> um, and I, I have met with uh, certain barriers, but what, what is the general experience of like, maybe you have a good experience like selling to one person, but they can't make the decision, or like what are some of the other barriers? Yeah, I mean, Maybe a certain color of tape. Yeah. 
Well, I think it's it's it, there's a corollary to like to us and our our company a little bit. Um, the product is really cool, but the product is only cool because there's a philosophy behind it. Mm-hmm. The way that Ruben is designed and built and structured, everything it has has very specific mission and is really well done. Um, I can say that having spent a lot of time challenging him and yeah. being like, did he really know what he was talking about? But he does. <laughs> it sounds like having just spoke with him for a little while, right. he might need someone like that. <laughs> it's, but it's tried and true. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it's... it's um, a lot of the times people at any institution, right? You get managers that were promoted just because they spent time at a certain place. Um, and you get people who who go through education, sure, to, to tick up the ladder, and, that, and that's fine, but uh, it's amazing, I think, that student affairs education, or at least maybe higher ed administrative education, um, while it's focused on educating others, doesn't seem to be super current in a lot of its nuances. Like, we get, I have, so I have some people that have, that have purchased us, hey, I'm getting reaccredited, in three years, they said, give me engagement data. This is obviously the, the easiest and quickest way to collect that. I need the stuff. So yeah. Simple. Yeah. Right? Other people, I talk to, I talk to people at, at the v, you know, in the VP role who have zero concept of the value of data and its importance and what measuring and tracking, just like in any other aspect of life or industry, does. And that, I think, is like the, the biggest barrier because if that person has that attitude anybody underneath them or you know any higher up right anybody underneath them isn't going to be able to get anything done they're not going to push that idea up unless the person's really receptive mm-hmm. and so it just becomes a, a, a tension of it's either generations or it's education or it's mindset and just like anything else you know, I mean top-down attitude and philosophy dictates the whole culture of the institution yeah. so it, I think it relies on the folks at the top either empowering their people and saying, hey, whatever you folks think is good, great, I'm behind it, here's some money, or it's them having vision themselves. Do you have anything there? Right. No, no, Andy, Andy covered that pretty well. I think um, just definitely starts from the top, and you see in a lot of places where that's not the case, and there's not necessarily you know, that, the culture and the attitude there that's needed to push forward for success. Yeah. Okay, so we'll end on just uh, a quick, so if you had, so being in sales, being in uh, happiness, <laughs> if you had a quick pitch to get someone to consider working with you all, what would you say? For sales, and I was just talking about this 20 minutes ago, I love this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We really resist people just wanting to wanting to check us out or wanting mm-hmm. to see the software. Um, presence solves problems, period, and it solves the biggest problems in student affairs. Yeah. So if people are feeling the issues of, hey, we have money being spent, we have budget issues, we have accreditation challenges, retention problems, and um, there's an acknowledgement that we need to understand more. We need to learn what's working and what isn't working and use that information to do a better job. This is exactly the tool that mm-hmm. does that. If, if that's not the attitude, right, if it's we want a social thing for the kids to talk to each other on or we want a tool that's magic that we don't have to do anything with. <laughs> um, it doesn't exist. <laughs> it, it doesn't. This is something that helps facilitate the betterment, I think, of processes. You know, what people are doing, what they know, how they're acting. I would say a lot of that applies on, on the happiness.
happiness side as well if you you know are into solving those problems and solving other types of problems and really um, helping our campus partners utilize what they've spent a ton of money on and spent a ton of time on getting and lots of energy and enthusiasm going into bringing this thing to them uh, we're there as the extension of that we want to make sure that you're getting what you want out of it we're solving problems with you we're talking to you every day continuing those relationships that our wonderful sales team has built um, that's what we're really here for and people love the title uh, <laughs> <laughs> i think just seeing that at the end of an email or on a website or something like that it almost automatically brings a smile to whoever you're working with working with space um, even when they're upset or even when they're struggling with something and uh, one of the things that Ruben has taught me that I've, I've really enjoyed is that sometimes your most upset and most frustrated customers can become your best allies in the end. And they, you have the opportunity to turn that around and really show them what you can do for them. Yeah, maybe they had a bad experience, maybe something hasn't quite worked right, or they're struggling with something, but if you can do everything in your power to make them happy, they're going to be happy for life. Yeah, that sounds like great customer service to me. <laughs> I know. Well, I, know you, I know you said you were wanting to end on that one, but uh, I think just because both of y'all said you took like a risk in coming to work here, what do you think excites you about the future of working here? And what keeps you working here? Yeah, that too. Yeah. Um... That's a, they're wow. different. Yeah, they're different questions. I think for they are different questions. for for future of working here. I mean, like, you know, in the beginning, like building anything is just trying to get the word out and convince people, and we're still doing that. Still, somehow people don't people just don't know about us, and once they see us, they're like, oh my, okay, okay, that's yeah. the thing. Um, that's why we're here right now, right, doing this. There it is. <laughs> trying to get it out there more. I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, so about the future. Um, we have really cool plans and we're growing. We've doubled every year we've been around, yeah. right? I mean, we're cranking. Um, I was doing a demo the other day in which two schools closed while I was on the phone. That's awesome. With somebody, it was just awesome. So the, the energy is just increasing all the time. And that's why I think I'm excited about the future. But um, what honestly, like what keeps me plugged in and motivated is that it's always different. And we're literally making it up. Every policy and procedure, every rule, which we don't have any of, right, of course, but everything that's ever happened, we just were like, hey, we need a form. We have to hire somebody. How do we do that? <laughs> we just figured it out. I mean, there, there's no red tape because nobody's made any, right? Oh, just, it just so doesn't great. exist. And it means, it's, it's, I mean, it means you don't sleep at night, right? Yeah. It means that if, if sales stop selling stuff, then two dozen people lose their jobs, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, that, the stress is, is, is okay, though, because there's enough freedom mm -hmm. to be creative with all this stuff that we're doing. Yeah. And I, that's what keeps me plugged in, for sure, is I've, I'm, I'm bought in. I feel like I have ownership in what's happening for everybody, and I have... You know, Ruben and I have an awesome relationship mm -hmm. and I have a lot of freedom and trust in what I do. He empowers me, he, he believes in my knowledge and he teaches me all the time. So every day I get to come in and be in charge of how well I do that day. Hmm. I like that a lot. That's great. Yeah, I think just you know, making it up and figuring everything out as it went. I mean, prior to coming here, I was in student affairs for three years. I worked in ResLife, so I knew a lot about keys and roommate conflicts and <laughs> uh, not much about customer service beyond being nice to someone in retail so oh. uh, kind of you know thinking about the golden rule a little bit and you know treating people how I would want to be treated if I was in their situation 
having just been there and um, like Andy said, developing the policies as we go and developing ways to handle different situations is just, it's so cool to yeah. be able to figure it all out. And at the same time, it can be incredibly frustrating at times, yeah. um, which almost makes me want to come back and like keep at it because if I'm not faced by a problem or a challenge of some sort, I'm not interested. So there's always a new problem and always a new challenge that keeps me into this. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you both for sitting down to chat with us. Of course. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, So the podcast thus far has been pretty filled with dudes, um, which is whatever. Yeah. Um, Dudes. Get out. Uh, So we decided to invite uh, a couple of the women that work at Presence uh, and get their perspective, uh, which is wonderful and super interesting and i can't wait for you to hear it they're also both student affairs former student affairs professionals so they bring a whole other aspect to the conversation now Mm -hmm. i really enjoyed talking to kaylee and megan when they both have very different positions at present oh true like every we really wanted to talk to uh as wide of a range of people who work at present as possible. The only people we could not get away from their computers were the programmers. Yeah. They were focused, which I get. And we probably wouldn't have understood a damn thing they said anyway, right? Yeah, probably not. I couldn't understand the thing they were doing on all those seven computer screens. So, (laughs) all right, here we go. (laughs) So now we shift gears again. And we're chatting with Kaylee Robsham and Megan Hakey. Nailed it. I was making sure I got that last name right. Uh, now, I'd love to hear a little bit about what you both do and why you enjoy working here. Kaylee, you might have a little bit of a longer story. You were like employee <laughs> what? Seven, I was, six, I seven? think I was employee number seven. Okay. Employee number seven. So I smash the glass ceiling with nice. yeah. being the first woman hired <laughs> <laughs> and the first person from new england i think so represent the first bostonian which was really exciting you were the first transplant their first move right the first yeah, person they got to like leave so actually i think alan one of our developers was right before me so we were at a similar time but he okay. or maybe i'm not sure but yeah i was definitely the first from new england <laughs> to transplant for this job so yeah, so I worked in sales for a few months, like the first six months, um, and it was just a few of us. It was our first office. I remember I would take calls, like, the office was just so busy and hectic all the time. It was really fun. Um, and this one time, I was telling Ruben the other day, like, I took calls from the closet so that I could get, like... <laughs> Some <Somebody's. laughs> like, oh piece. Just so, you know, if I was talking with someone on the other end about our software, I could just get some, like... I wouldn't have background noise. And that was before we had fancy headsets and before we had, like, we weren't putting a lot of money into things because we were trying to save every penny. So it's a good memory from our first office. Soundproof. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now we have really cool (laughs) booths. Yeah. And then we were hiring other people and the community engagement manager position was open. And I, like, networked like crazy. I feel Mm -hmm. like when I moved down here, like, everyone like in my network new, you know, and just like asking, what's this software? It was so new at the time. Um, So that change was pretty seamless. And so we hired more people in our sales department. And then I've been rocketing, 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 rocketing. (laughs) 
But I mean, our marketing really did take off, right? So um, nice. That's a yeah. good pun. <laughs> God, it's so good. Um, and I've been doing this for just over a year and a half on my own, running everything from blog content to social media, um, helping out with NASPA proposals. My coworker and I, Lindsay Murdoch, um, we kick-started uh, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Committee. So how can we be really inclusive from like day one of an employee's job here at present? Um, That's awesome. So I've been doing a lot and just like diving into everything. Um, Using your student affairs background there, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, did a lot of that in student affairs, but have a, definitely have like a lot more leeway in terms of like just like having an idea and just running it by everyone and just be like, I have this great idea, like help me brainstorm. Um, that's probably what I like most about this job is that like nobody, something that Ruben says is like, don't judge other people's ideas. And that's because if like Megan has an idea or you have an idea, um, someone else might have a better idea that comes from that. So that's one of my favorite things is that we just try not to judge other people's ideas hmm. awesome. out loud. That's like super awesome. Keep right? it all like, inside. Oh, you're it like, <laughs> your idea sucks. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we're really excited. We um, just hired a new marketing director. So um, everything that we do now that you see online is going to be like times 10. It'll be amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. What about you? Uh, I am a campus outreach coordinator, which is basically a sales position. Um, I send lots of emails, call lots of cool people, and just get to spread the gospel. Oh. I'm like, student <laughs> engagement, like, there's the word. Um, and definitely my favorite part has just been all of the people. I moved down from New Hampshire after oh, cool. being um, an activities coordinator at a really small school in Vermont, um, and came down here and just got a second family. Oh. It's so exciting as I moved away from everything I knew my whole life to this place that believes in so many awesome ideas and just making student experience better. It's yeah. so cool. And you both have come from student affairs backgrounds. How's that transition been for you all? Um, I think when I was in student affairs, I had the mindset that like, oh, I can deal with change. I'm adept to change. And then you start working for a startup and you realize that you really didn't experience change at all. <laughs> so, That's so I try to, and it's great, right? Because I got to really expand like my, my student affairs bubble. And I feel like a lot of people, now I get to like chat with people in student affairs and just give them, like we have just a better exchange of ideas. So yeah, that was probably the most, the most drastic thing was change. Um, that's nice. Nice skill to have under my belt now. Yeah. yeah. After student. <laughs> After student affairs, yeah. Um, yeah. What was the question? More drastic? Uh, I mean, uh, really, uh, just how the transition has been, like, doing this sort of uh, work now. Yeah. After. yeah. Uh, it's been really interesting. I've noticed um, a lot of my life, like, activities and orientation was very talking to people and getting everyone amped up face-to-face -face and, like, super <laughs> stoked. And now I've got a whole different way of doing that and I do it all virtually and I really built up especially my social media network and understanding that I can be that like activities and orientation person but I have to do it in 140 characters and so like <laughs> that's been the most drastic change for sure. 
Yeah, Meg, you said something the other day, like, I can change, like, someone's life in 140 characters <laughs> with some of my tweets, so I thought that was cool. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm what? also working with student activities and orientation, so I am interested to hear about what has been helpful from you having the experience, especially at a small school, because yeah. I'm also at a small school, um, having that perspective going into, like, how you can sell that to other campuses because you've been in the in the trenches doing it yourself too. Yeah, it's definitely changed the way I talk to folks. I definitely look to reach out to people who are in like orientation and coordinator positions just because I'm like those people I think are really excited and smiling while they talk to me. So I'm like, hey, how's it going? This is so exciting. Um, but also, really, I understand a lot of the struggles that can come from being kind of those lower totem pole kind of people. And that's been awesome because I've been able to be like, this is what affected me the most. Like, let's try and help you figure it out too. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So what's a typical day look like for both of you here in startup culture? <laughs> um, so since I'm managing most of the social media, um, I have things scheduled out, but I'm usually checking like all of our social stuff in the beginning of the day. Mm-hmm. Um but since we have flexible working hours, I'm typically at the gym, meditating, or something rather in the morning. Um, and I come in between the hours of 7 a.m. and 12 a.m., like huge range. Depending 12 p.m. or 12? 12? Oh, sorry, 12 p.m., yeah. I was like, <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I'm asleep for the, Hold on, just the whole day. You can start your day at 11 p.m. At any time. Shit. What a job. But seriously, I could, I mean, I could start it at yeah. 11 p.m. Yeah. if I got all my work done in an hour. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, flexible working hours is super cool because if, if you can get, if you're super productive in the mornings, then work the morning. If you're super productive in like some part of the afternoon. So for me, I'm usually writing in the morning. Um... Looking at some social media um, and reaching out, answering emails, things like that. In the afternoon, I'm always saving those for like phone calls. Who am I reaching out to in terms of like Google Hangouts um, and just talking from people to people from all over. Um, but like today, I rode my bike to work. It was so nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, we have like a gym nearby. A lot of people use the gym. Yeah. And I think the flexible working hours just like super awesome. What are you typically so. writing for the blog, I'm right? Writing everything, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and even if I'm not writing the post, I'm ty- I'm typically trying to edit or help people with their post ideas. So I actually manage five blog contributors at Work Remote. Um, so some of them work in assessment in higher ed tech, like you know Dustin Ramsdale, mm-hmm. um, Brian LeDuc works for the Education Mm -hmm. Advisory Board. Um, So I manage those people. Um, So I talk to them kind of just whenever they have a free moment, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then we kind of partner with people um, about whatever topics we think are appropriate for that month. Um, So, or for whenever we're planning it. Um, And we took, like this past few months, we ran into a lot of people at NASPA and ACPA. So, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, I love reading your blog. And it's like really nice to just have that like camaraderie and like, wow, people actually read what I write. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was 
<laughs> the first, so when mine, during grad school, when I was blogging and like starting a bunch of fires with my blog, that was the, yes. that was the weird thing, like going to conferences and people were like, you wrote that article about being tattooed and how you hate professionalism. I'm like, yeah, that, yeah, I'm glad you read that. That's awesome. Like it got me to get my first tattoo. I was like, oh, Oh, that's, that's wonderful. I'm like, oh, that's so great. Yeah, and you kind of realize like how much impact you can have through words. Um, just putting yourself out there. Yeah, just putting yourself out there yeah. because a lot of people just need like to look for answers for things. And so that's been super helpful for like our community. Um, yeah, even like, yeah, I have a personal blog too. And just mm -hmm. the amount of people that actually go and read these things. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, for sure. What about, for, what about for you? Yeah, for me, a, a day is very similar. I think to Kaylee's, I've kind of merged my schedule to kind of look like hers. I am into the way that she does everything. Um, so I do a lot of like emailing and writing in the in the day, and then lots of calls, but it's always interrupted with like inner fights or mm -hmm. things like that downstairs. <laughs> yeah. I always keep it exciting. Or being asked to do a podcast randomly with someone right, you just exactly. met. Exactly. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, I'll be up in five minutes. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's pretty much the cool part. I've done a lot um, more social media. I've done a lot from Kaylee, and so I've been getting involved in like social media marketing chats on um, Twitter and things like that, really broadening my whole horizon. It's been exciting. Nice. And what about your um, uh, interactions with campuses? How do you feel you bring? your student affairs background into like selling the product really? Yeah, um, I think it's a lot of, I've been trying to think about it instead of being like, I'm calling people selling things and this is what has to happen to, I'm talking to another person yeah. who lives the same life I do. Like, So if I can make them smile for 15 minutes on the phone and they've had a better day because of that, that's how I kind of have been going into a lot of my interactions with people. What a weird philosophy, <laughs> treating, <laughs> treating people like people. Yeah. You would be surprised at how many cold sales calls I get that just like, I will literally never let, like answer the phone when that person calls. Yeah? You know their number by heart now? No, I have a caller ID. <laughs> but so like there's certain ones where I see the name and I'm like, absolutely not. Um, so that's good. It's a good tactic. As someone who works at a university in student activities, Katie Ham, what would you prefer hearing someone say to you trying to call and sell you this product? Turning this on you now. What would I prefer? I mean... Uh, I, Being treated like a human? I, well, I mean, I initially interacted with Andy uh -huh. uh, when we first... Uh, I was, I think, connected with Ruben on Twitter. I think that's how we initially... Yeah. Well, maybe you had something to do with it, too. I don't know. <laughs> I have Just something to do with everything. I know. That's why I don't know. Like, you do too much. I can't keep track of it. This isn't about me. I know it's not about you. Um, go away. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I first interacted with Andy and just being... Like, hearing how genuinely excited he was about the product that yeah. they were pushing and, like, hearing all of, like, the benefits and how they could relate it to the job we were actually trying to do was what was important to me um, rather than just like hey here's something that you have to do we can we have like we have this here you go I'm not I'm not uh, yeah, like, it, uh, I think that was a good thing with with presence in the like first 
the beginnings the of check uh, here it is. the check, check here days. Days. Yeah. yeah. I think the Bruins said they didn't like that name. I like that name. I, I like the name says. too. Um, but whatever, yeah. So I I think it was just that they were they were all so genuine, and it's like even after we met them, like they're just good humans. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> seems it's like a lot, a lot yeah. easier to work with good humans because like you know they're gonna respect you and the way you operate and the things you can and can't do. So it seems like a, it's part of the culture here then. Yeah, because sometimes like, you just want someone that genuinely wants to know how your day is going. Yeah. And just, hey, how's it, how are you doing it? Rather than like a segue into a sales conversation, like what's going on? One of the best relationships I ever had um, with someone that I was talking to on the phone, he was like, I have to go. My kid has a Christmas concert tonight. And I was like, okay, excellent. The next time I like called him, I was like, how did Christmas concert go? Oh. So that was, like, <laughs> like, taking pictures was really great. And he, like the fact that we were able to kind of have that conversation for five or ten minutes was really cool before like getting down to business or. Well, well, I think for for such a, a field that is so prided on being um, bubbly and excited. We are confused sometimes when we actually meet people who are like that and genuine about it. Like, I'm a pretty cynical person in general, but I can turn it on. And so, like, when, like, I have to do a talk to my students and they're like, is this guy for real? I'm like, yeah, welcome to college. See, you're the kind of person that makes me not like people like that. Because you don't know if it's if I'm being genuine. Yeah, I oh. feel like that's never genuine when it comes out of you. <laughs> but that is so. I think I, I think because I know you so well. Yeah. Like I get to see the. We live together. <laughs> For me, when I get that excited, it's like tapping into my like inner college, old college. Yeah, so that's, that's what I see it as. Is. For me too. I tell people here that I used to be an orientation leader. And they're like, no. Just no. <laughs> I swear I was an extrovert in college. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I feel like I have both sides of those things. Like I can be pretty like um, serious and cynical and whatever, which I generally am. But I can turn that on. You're like, never calm, though. I'm never. <laughs> no. Like Ruben and I are suit. Like we're super. Uh, um, similar uh we're very similar people in that like we never sit still things like that and so having um, both of them in the same room was very stressful it was the day that ruben got his fidget cube i was a happy camper (laughs) oh no when we we talked about we talked about those fidget cubes right these are so great for for us and i'm fidgeting with a little stretchy frog right now yeah i don't even know where you got that i got it off the floor there's a lot of fun Fun items. I know those are just floating around. Um, but going going back to what you're saying, the, yeah. like I know a lot of people use like the term cultural fit, and you know, being on the inclusion kind of like committee thing that we have here, we talk about like who are cultural additions. So like who's genuine but brings something like new, a new perspective. Um, like what do they bring to our team? Yeah, I was gonna ask something about that, given that you were you know one of the first women hired on staff. Um, and I like through some of the things I just know about you, um, what, what in this work environment and or the product, uh, like values diversity. 
Yeah, so that's kind of like, so that's a question for, I would say for all of us, but yeah, I can definitely answer it. So even in like development, I know that we, when we had our first, um, we had a safe zone, like privilege training, I want to say it was last year, last year. So, um, and you know, some people, a lot of people like us being from student affairs from Mm -hmm. higher ed, a lot of people have been like exposed to like, at least everyone had some sort of like awareness level of like diversity, like social justice issues. Um, And then, but I think when I came in and I was the first woman and we're just having conversations, there was like some education that had to be had. Um, But in terms of like, just looking at like privileges that, because it was mostly men in the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. So me being the first woman, I was like, oh, I don't really feel comfortable walking alone or something like that, you know? Um, but in terms of our software, um, when we had that training last summer, our developers were like, wow, we could really use like gender identities. Like, so when we had a new campus partner, um, UNC Asheville, University of North Carolina, they're like, well, at orientation or admissions, we have like 15 gender identities. Like how can we include that in our data hmm. upload? And we're like, this is awesome. Um, so we're hoping so to, many. yeah, <laughs> which is really great. Sometimes I used to be like, check I'm queer because oh. I was like, I was like, put up. Yes. That's <laughs> wonderful. I, fit. The first, pun was there. First, yeah, we're all about puns here. So, um, and I was pretty open about my identity when we first came, when I first came on board. Um, right. Cause I was pretty like salient, like first woman, like hanging out with everyone. Um, but yeah so it was really awesome working with like now working with campus partners and just seeing how they structure their data uploads to be more inclusive of like race slash ethnicity or is like should that be separate um or gender identities um and they usually have other questions for us too in their data uploads so on the software side and there's like a lot of accessibility too um accessibility on like the website and then our software as well so we have to meet certain standards which is pretty neat and exciting the developers could talk a lot more about all of the things they've done but that's kind of a summary cool hmm. yeah. Nice. yeah um sorry i'll cut out all this it's okay here. we actually had an inclusive excellence um presentation at NASPA on data and like how oh. to make your data uploads more friendly and we learned a lot about how like student information systems, so like SIS systems, depending on like state and federal laws, you can't change them. So some of them like are just not inclusive from the beginning. So we were like, oh, we should do something about this. Or um, even like once the, the legal stuff changes. Right. It had being higher ed taking forever to actually switch the systems. Yeah, and I'm always like, if it was just inclusive, like if we can do it from the start, if we can do it from the beginning, so that inspires our team a lot because if we can start those conversations like before employees come here, then they understand like the mindset that a lot of us have. Yeah, definitely. And, and a lot of the hard work that like Keely and Lindsay have been doing to help broaden that understanding of inclusivity and diversity has really informed a lot of conversations that we have with other people as well. Like all of our emails now have our gender pronouns yeah. and them to just make people comfortable and then to be able to have that dialogue and especially if someone isn't really sure about a certain situation we can always go to them and we talk it out like as a company and as part of our culture is like this is how we can work better to be better people 
Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Right? Yeah, and I think sometimes, like, even when I was working in sales, like, you would just, like, automatically assume someone's gender, like, looking at their name. Like, that's so problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's another reason why we did it, to make sure that the people that were calling <laughs> feel comfortable <laughs> talking to us on the phone, right? Yeah. Do you want to bring yeah. us home? Yeah. Um, I wasn't sure if you had any questions left. Um, <laughs> so, obviously, seems like y'all both kind of uprooted your life to to come here and do something <laughs> that you were excited about. Um, so what keeps you excited when you're working here and what are you excited about for the future of your time with Northern's? Uh For me, it was definitely the thing that keeps me being excited is being in a role in, at one university, you can impact maybe a thousand or a couple thousand students' lives. Being here and doing all the work that we're doing potentially has the ability to affect thousands and thousands of students and just make their college experience, which was so important for me. I was very scared my freshman year of school, mm-hmm. then became a theater major and orientation <laughs> leader and all of this stuff, and came out to be this huge extroverted person, and it was because of college. So we can help make that situation and that experience better for people, that's so empowering. Yeah. Yeah. So similar to Megan, I'll add on, like even from the student affairs perspective, I was just like loaded with administrative work and I couldn't spend time with students. And that was, that was like a bummer. Um, And even though I'm not working with students now, like we do impact so many students' lives in terms of like people actually can like see, like see students, like they have more of a sense of a belonging like on campus, which is really cool. Um, But additionally for me, St. Petersburg, like as a community, is just like so inclusive, tight-knit, like everyone knows everyone. I'm always at like a coffee shop and like I just, everyone is like a familiar face. Um, I mean, the weather's pretty good too. (laughs) Um, But yeah, just so excited. We're always learning new things. um, And I know that I can just like grab someone, whether it's from sales or from our happiness team to just like brainstorm out new ideas. I'm like, I'm really stuck on this. Can I just grab you for a minute? and we just kind of like push that culture to be like flexible and have that leniency, which is really exciting. Yeah. Nice. I just grabbed the other person. Well, sweet. Uh, thank you yeah. both for taking some time to chat with us. Uh, I learned a whole lot and I'm really excited that you all are doing great work and crushing it. So uh, yeah, thanks again. Cool. Thanks yeah. for having us, Craig and Katie. Yeah. It was awesome. All right, there you have it. That was the conversation with Presence. We made it through this a uh, little bit longer episode, uh, but I had fun. Did you have fun? Mm-hmm. I'm glad I got to be a part of it. Yeah, you're going to get to be a part of more episodes, as long as people are okay with that. I'm going to take over. Oh, gosh. So That's not true. I'm this, not going to do that. This might be my last episode, folks. Craig has way more energy than I do. <laughs> that is true it's an understatement so if you liked this conversation please check out more about presence at hellopresence.com dot io they're one of those fun websites hello presence p-r-e-s-e-n-c-e dot io you can also find them on instagram and twitter at hello presence uh you can follow me on twitter at craig bidman c-r-i-g-b-i-d-i-d-m-a-n 
And me on various social medias as Katie Ham at or at Katie Ham, K-A-T-Y-H-A-M-M. Yeah, and if you liked the podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Uh, if you want to be on it, let me know. I, if you do some cool education-based stuff or you're an everyday educator, let's talk. I'd love to chat with you. Uh, or you can follow our uh, social media at EduPunksPod on Twitter and Instagram as well. I'm going to leave you all with the second verse and end of the song of one of my new songs called Active Ghosts. It's pretty intense. It's a different side of me. Some of you might not be used to. But hey, if you like what you hear, visit anotherpoormusician.bandcamp.com. Throw me some shekels. I'll send you a record or a CD or whatever. Or you can have it for digital download for free. I just have to do one more line. <laughs> music for free is the best. I love free music. Do you love free music, Katie Ham? Yeah, I guess that's pretty cool. You love free music. You were just telling me, oh, Craig, free music's the best thing in the whole world. I love it. That's a verbatim quote, folks. All right. We hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll see you next time. Let's get to work. I can be.